Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I've got a little special bonus episode for you, and this is the best scores of 2021, best film scores. Now I use the term best very loosely, because let's be real, all of these lists are subjective, there are no best film scores. These really are just my favorites from last year. So, if you disagree, all that means is we've got different tastes, which is really what makes music and art so great. And now I know it's a little late. It's uh, coming out in late February, but you can't rush perfection, can you? Now, these really are in no order at all. I think they're kind of chronologically, but not really. So, don't read too much into that either. I started with about a hundred scores on my master list, and I'd listened to maybe 600 that came out last year, and just started narrowing it down. But I think a lot of these could change on any given day, any given week, any given month. This top 10 is pretty loose. If you asked me in six months, it'd probably look pretty different. But... I settled on this list, and at some point you don't want to mess with it, because, heck, I probably change my mind by the time this is over, and that'd be a bit of a mess. So the first score up on the list is Christopher Gordon's score for Buckley's Chance. Now, there were a lot of really good, rich orchestral thematic scores released throughout the year. I mean, James Newton Howard had two great scores in Ray and the Last Dragon and Jungle Cruise. You had Debbie Wiseman's To Olivia, Rachel Portman's Julia, Maurizio Malanini's Coppelia, and quite a few others, Curse of Turandot, which was an exciting score because the composer's handling the new Avatar film. Uh, it has me really excited. But Buckley's Chance was really my favorite of that style from the year, and... You know, unfortunately, you won't hear any of those others on my list right now. But rest assured that at least they were all very close to making it really on the cusp. But what's exciting about this score is it's really ambitious. It sounds big. And every time I listen to it, I think I'm listening to some sort of sci-fi epic, a space opera, something like that. Because it's a really sweeping, enthralling adventure. It has these gorgeous melodies, and it feels like there's a massive scope, but it isn't. It's a pretty small scope story that Gordon gives a lot of life and scale and a sense of importance. And I think that's what's so exciting about it to me, as well as the fact that you don't really hear Gordon's voice much anymore, which is odd because he's... He's had some great scores, and has worked as a conductor on some high-profile films and scores, but you just wonder, where is he? It's a shame that Buckley's Chance, both the film and the score, haven't gotten as much attention because they really show that Gordon should be working more because he's a great voice. Maybe one day, and hopefully that day soon. The next one up is Daniel Hart's score for The Green Knight. Daniel Hart's score is so exciting because it mixes a lot of modern electronics, giving a, a warped, 
sounds and otherworldly feelings really creating the the fantasy and the surreal and the unbelievable aspects of the film with a really impressive and a really authentic sounding, at least to my novice ears, medieval sound. And I remember when I first listened to the score, there were a few original songs of his that I truly thought were 100% covers of English folk songs, English traditional songs from 600, 800, 1,000 years ago. And obviously he looked to those times for inspiration, but they're original, and it's just so impressive. Again, I'll have the same, uh, the same complaint about Hart as I do with Christopher Gordon, and it's that Hart is such a great, unique voice that he's actually able to meld in all sorts of various ways, but it'd be great to hear that even more. And actually, he had another score in 2021. It was the last letter from your lover, which I actually didn't think was him because it's such a different sound. It's really lush and romantic, and it's just night and day from the Green Knight, which, when you compare it to another score like Ghost Story, shows you how much variance, how much ground Hart can cover exceedingly well. So now we wait to see what he has in store for us next. The next score up is CryptoZoo by John Carroll Kirby, and I'll be honest, this might be my favorite score of the year. Not as far as the actual score goes in the context of the film, but simply as a listen on its own. It's a pretty quick listen, maybe 30-35 minutes, and it's one that I found myself putting on repeat over and over. It has a few really infectious themes that pop up throughout the film, throughout the score, and from a zoomed-out perspective, they have some similarities, where they have these influences of 70s early electronics with modern sounds, modern beats, some guitar. One of them is actually sometimes diegetic, too. It's this pan flute that's the theme of this mischievous fawn that comes throughout the film. And it's one of those scores that you've never really heard anything like it, or at least very little music like this. It is the heart of the imagination of the creativity of this film, which is kind of surprising. An animated film about cryptids, about these creatures that may or may not exist, that are so elusive, so extraordinary, that they're built into legend, should be dripping with imagination, with the unbelievable. And yet, I think it's Kirby's score, more than anything else, that sells this idea. And so when you add those, the listenability, the creativity, the pure excitement of this musician, this composer that, to my knowledge, hasn't worked in film before, and instead he has worked as a, as a producer on all sorts of A-list top 40 musicians, pop musicians, big musicians in all sorts of genres, and I'm going to sound like a broken record at this point, but I hope to hear more of him, because it's just such an exciting score. Next up is In the Earth by Clint Manziel. Manziel's really been one of my favorite composers for a very long time, even before I was particularly interested in film music, or being in high school and 
hearing the Requiem for a Dream main theme many times, both in the film and in hindsight, it's in very bad taste, but sampled or covered in a variety of songs, even in more poppy songs, danceable songs, which leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But In the Earth is the latest score of Manziel for Ben Wheatley film, and frankly, I think it's the best combination the team has had so far. And while I liked Manziel's score for Rebecca, which I think was their prior collaboration, I thought that Manziel had to do too much heavy lifting as far as the drama and the emotional impact went. That it took away from what he was able to do, just from a purely musical perspective. Whereas In the Earth, just this pandemic-set sci-fi horror film, it's based very much on imagery and on the primal and on action. That gives Manziel much more room to experiment. I've said it before, some of the experimentation I thought was a gimmick, and that someone like Clint Manziel didn't have to do this, where he hooked up plants to a machine that tracked and recorded the electrical waves of them, turned it into music, and into notes, into sounds, and then Manziel worked with those to help create his score. And when I first heard that, I rolled my eyes. But when you listen to it, when you listen to how mesmerizing, how out there, how wild some of the sounds are, and when you watch the film and see this hallucinogenic, psychedelic imagery that the wilder parts of Manziel's score are paired with, you realize it was a great choice. This is one of the great pairings, at least great modern pairings, of imagery and music. And what I mean by that is there are moments in the film where you're sucked into just the imagery that Wheatley's chosen, and that's all you get. You get strange images, these hallucinations, the psychedelia, and you get music, and that's it. Wheatley's done this in the past as well, actually. A Field in England by Jim Williams. That's a similar one, and another really great score. It's maybe my favorite Whitley film as well. And Rob's score for Gretel and Hansel, which has some lighter psychedelic moments. But in those moments, Rob is also able to really crank it up and experiment. I love that aspect of Clint Manziel. He is able to do so many different styles, but when he's given that freedom when the reins are taken off, and he can make whatever he wants, ah, it's just excellent. And those are the highlights of In the Earth. You just don't get that very often. That's why the examples I've been giving date back almost 10 years ago. Three really notable examples in the last eight years. It's rare for those types of opportunities. And Clint gets it, and he just crushes it. Let score where the composer got a lot of room to experiment was Spencer by Johnny Greenwood. I'm actually a little surprised. I thought that Spencer would be neck and neck with Power of the Dog, Greenwood's other score for 2021, in the critics' choices, in the awards shows, all that. But very quickly, Power of the Dog became the frontrunner. And while I like it, it's it's a very good score. Spencer's the one that really, really caught my ear from the first note I knew that there was something special. Not to simplify it too much, but 
it really is this war between almost free-form jazz and orchestral, between the new and tradition. And that very much encapsulates the film and the turmoil that Diana's going through. It can be a little obvious doing that, but here those two conflicting musical genres are used together. They intertwine. The score and each individual cue will morph from one to the other. And that's really where the score becomes particularly impressive. Because quite often you'll just hear it cue to cue is where the genres will jump. There will be a, a much harder, more rigid delineation between the two of them. But with Spencer, Greenwood makes it so there really isn't a line. They become one and yet are in constant tension. It's a much more accurate way of showcasing the human psyche and of showcasing interior turmoil because everything's happening in one space. But what's also great about it too is you have these undercurrents of almost horror and of these organ funeral dirges that give an ominous feeling to everything and shades a little darkness on the whole score, which makes it a little more exciting. Up next is La Panther de Nige, uh, The Velvet Queen, by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. And you may have noticed that I'm a sucker for this duo. They have a lot of really good scores that are very atmospheric. A lot of them are Western-based, as far as the, the actual film genre, the music genre of Western. And I'm a sucker for it. I love them. So every time I find out that they have a new score coming out, my expectations really heighten. I think this one was actually originally supposed to be just a Warren Ellis score. He brought Nick Cave in to work on one song, and they ended up spending quite a while working on a few different cues. They, I assume, just got sucked into the energy of working together and got wrapped up in it, and lo and behold, they get this whole collaborative score. And like a lot of their scores, it is very atmospheric, and there is a relation to, to nature. So many of their westerns are the same way, where there's the toils of humanity going on, but they're in the shadow of these harsh, impressive, beautiful, daunting landscapes. And that's where the scores end up leaning towards. And this is very similar it's very much humanity standing in reverence and wonder of the natural world, of witnessing this beautiful, mesmerizing planet that we have. And it celebrates the beauty of the world and how we are, or at the very least we should be, kind of in a perpetual awe of it. And every time I hear it, that's what runs through my brain and... It's like it runs through my heart. It channels this really natural beauty that you can't escape and you want to always feel. It's kind of a, a spiritual cousin to Stephen Price's score for David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet, from last year, or from 2020, should I say. Which again was an, another score that very much honored the earth and nature and the environment but from a very different perspective. I think that both of those would make a really good pairing from that ecological environmental perspective and 
how music can carry that message and how it can channel something like the earth, the environment, the natural landscape that surrounds us. Another score that is very much based on landscape is Dune by Hans Zimmer. I think this is actually Zimmer's best score in several years. I know not everybody agrees, but I really think that's the case. On first listen, I know that a lot of people thought it was stuck in the more modern stylings of Zimmerov. Loud, almost melody-less sounds. But I think that's a... It's not even an oversimplification. I, th- I think that that's simply wrong. There's a lot of melody in the score, but there are also a lot of themes and a lot of motifs, and it's one that you can watch the film and you can listen to the score again and again and pull more and more out. Some of it's really obvious, but some of it's quite subtle. And that's one of the things that I think he's been missing a little bit lately is that really rich thematic tapestry. And here he shows that he's got it. He's still got it, and he probably never lost it. But it's also one of those scores that you can lean back, and it will overwhelm you. It encompasses you. It transports you into this figuratively different universe. It takes you into the the reaches of space, onto these planets that are completely unknown and alien, and sets the mood, the tone, the setting immediately. And he does that with its inhabitants and the creatures and the landscape and the harshness or the beauty. I also have to mention that it spawned two ancillary releases, Dune Sketchbook, which is something that Zimmer's been doing more and more recently, having these sketchbooks released in conjunction with the proper score, which shows a lot of the experimentation and the raw ideas that were in the hopper at some point prior to the score reaching its final form. But some of the ideas in the sketchbook make their way in, and it's really interesting seeing them in a more nascent or unrefined format, but some of them don't make it in either, which I think is almost more interesting being able to listen to what could have been. The other one is the Art and Soul of Dune, which is really an ambient take on the Dune score, taking some of the sounds and the melodies and stretching them out into these 15-minute, massive, monolithic slabs of music. It's something that not everyone, I think most film musical listeners, wouldn't like, but... It's a really interesting experiment. The next score on my list is Drive My Car by Aiko Ishibashi. This is another one that I can put on and listen to over and over. It has a a really mesmerizing jazz bass. And a lot of it is riffing and experimenting off of similar ideas that slowly grow from cue to cue, but maintain a very similar identity. There's a good pace to it, but there's an undercurrent of of melancholy and of mournfulness that eventually reaches an apex in a cue called We'll Live Through the Long, Long Days and Through the Night, 
and in parentheses Oto, it comes about two-thirds of the way through the score, it rips out all the melody, and instead replaces it with a really deflating, ambient music. And you just hear the ambience of passing cars and what feels like the night. It is really depressing, but it's also really introspective, really emotive, something that you can immediately put yourself in that same position of sitting in your car in a parking lot on the side of a highway, facing a beach, being alone, and confronting that loneliness. And whether it's a moment of solace, of being able to tune everything out, or a moment of fear of being left alone with nothing else, it forces that. And it's something that is an undercurrent throughout the score, but that moment, that five-minute cue, heightens it all, distills it, and forces the listener to confront it. Next up is The Novice by Alex Weston. Honestly, this is a score that I almost completely let pass me by. I listened to it initially and thought it was good, but didn't really think much of it. And it was only re-listening on a whim, and I think it was really just one cue, that made me prick my ears up and go, Huh, there's something here. Then I listened to it again and wondered how the heck I could have missed it. It's a battlefield of strings. It's not quite a chaos, but they are at war with each other fighting, and it really shows the tension, the inner tension, the turmoil, but also with the drive that it has, with that pace, it shows the determination too. It's accented, interestingly, by often slower, very deliberate piano work that is so distinct from the chaos of strings, and it really stands out. And they work in this really beautiful juxtaposition that when they do merge into melodies, it works really well. It catches your attention. This is one that I, I need to keep listening to because I think every listen I notice more and more and it has an even stronger impact on me and I'm swept up in it increasingly each time. The last score is The Power by Gazelle Twin and Max the Vardener. I actually talked to Gazelle Twin earlier in 2021, I think right before this score came out, although my memory could be wrong, and there's a good chance it is. And I was really looking forward to this one. Gazelle Twin just floored me when I heard her score for Nocturne and then dove into her solo discography. Truly one of the most interesting electronic experimental musicians who's somehow able to channel that experimentation into things that are kind of popular, kind of catchy, crossing a barrier that feels like it shouldn't be able to be crossed. Max the Vardner is someone that I wasn't familiar with beforehand, but given this collaboration, I'm looking forward to what he has in store as well. And this is kind of a nasty score. A lot of sounds, of frights, 
that are lurking in the darkness. They're waiting in corners to ambush you, tease you like these sinister, mischievous imps. And then eventually they strike. And when they do, they do it in numbers. The sounds start amplifying. They start building on each other. You'll hear the same instrument, the same voice, stacked increasingly. It's as if you're being ganged up on. You're being overwhelmed. And it's a little frightening. It's not frightening in the sense of your typical horror stingers, where a high-pitched piercing sound comes up out of nowhere loudly, and it catches you by surprise. This is different. This feels more earned. The greatest aspect of this score, and it's something that you'll hear a lot on Gazelle Twin music, is the use of voice. And in Gazelle Twin's solo work, often her voice and the use of voice is like a vessel of rage. And you heard it in Nocturne as well. These screams and these yells and these shrieks are empowering in their way to channel frustration and anger. And while they have a similar intensity here, it's not really rage. Instead, it's the voice of the possessed, the voice of the unsettled, the voice of things that are waiting to feast on your soul, but to do it in many very small, painful bites. And you can tell they'll relish it, slowly ripping you and your essence apart. But luckily, for us, for the listener, it's only music, and when you turn the light on, there won't be anything there. Now, I look forward to hearing what some of your favorites were from 2021. I feel like every year people complain that there were no good film scores, but it's a matter of looking, and it's a matter of having an open mind, because I think every year film music grows in genre, in style, in convention, or lack thereof. And the more you're able to accept it and appreciate it and welcome it into your open arms, the more that you'll get and the more that you'll enjoy. I think I could have included more purely traditional orchestral conventional scores in here. And on any given day, this might have been half orchestral. But I'm kind of glad it isn't, because you probably know the great orchestral scores that came out this year. You've probably listened to them, and you probably really like them. But there's a lot else to listen to as well, and I think there is going to be an increasing amount of that going forward. So all I ask is that you listen to some of these, and in the future listen to some of those with an open mind, because... It might not be what you expect or what you're used to, but I can promise that it's good and that at the very least you'll be intrigued by the creativity and the range of what music can do. Now, I hope that you enjoyed my recent interview with Colin Stetson. I was absolutely over the moon about that one. And keep your ears open for another week or so and I've got another really good, really big interview coming up to grace your ears. Now, I hope you tune in soon. Until then, happy listening.